It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Good morning, I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Here are the stories we're following today. We wrap up a very busy few days for big bank earnings with Goldman Sachs reporting this morning. Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Analyst Allison Williams tells us what investors will be looking for. The important thing we'll be looking at is trading. How is that holding up on a core basis um, You know, versus some of the competition? Uh, what are they doing um, in terms of buybacks? And then aside from some of these impairments and severance costs, What's the core run rate for expenses? They had set out sort of an ambitious target um, at, at Investor Day. They've reaffirmed that, but not going to do that anytime soon. So I think that's the question is, is when can that get sort of closer to their target? Bloomberg Intelligence Senior Analyst Allison Williams says revenue from advising on M&A transactions is poised to slump 35%. Meanwhile, Nathan, it was quite a day on Wall Street for Goldman rival Morgan Stanley. That bank's stock surged more than 6% after CEO James Gorman said the worst is over for the industry's downturn in trading and investment banking. I do believe it's bottomed. Every CEO I'm talking to has tilted to a more forward-looking posture. So I think deal, deals will start getting done. Whether they happen in the back half of this year, I'm not so sure. It might be, it might be next year that it comes, but it will definitely be, it will be during next year when we see it, if not this year. And Morgan Stanley CEO James Gorman made the comments in an interview with Bloomberg Sonali Basik. Hear more of that conversation in just a few minutes. Well, Karen, the earnings continue to roll in with 20 companies in the S&P 500 reporting today. And Bloomberg's John Tucker joins us to look at two of the big ones. John? And Nathan Tesla reports after the close. Investors are going to be looking for more details on the much-delayed Cybertruck. They also want to know about how a series of price cuts cut into margins. They did make dramatic cuts of as much as 29% of their best-selling model. Well, Tesla's stock is up 138% since the start of the year. The adjusted earnings per share estimate is $0.81. Cents. Streaming giant Netflix also reports after the close. The expectations there are high. A crackdown on password sharing may have led to a jump in subscriptions. The company's ad subscription tier may also show some promise. And Netflix stock, that's up 61% year-to-date. In New York, I'm John Tucker, Bloomberg Daybreak. 
All right, John. Thanks. Well, shares of Carvana are down about 8% in early trading. The used car retailer surprised investors with a last-minute change to its earnings plans. The company now intends to release second-quarter results before the market opens this morning. Carvana did not say why it moved up the release, which was previously set for August 3rd. In the U.K., Karen, we have an encouraging reading on inflation this morning. Let's get that from Bloomberg's Ewan Potts in London. Good morning, Ewan. Good morning, Nathan and Karen. Britain's inflation rate has finally dropped below 8%. The pound falling this morning after CPI in the year to June came in at 7.9%, better than economists were expecting, and a sharp drop from the previous reading. Core inflation also dropped, but is still at 6.9%, a level which the Bank of England and UK consumers will find far from comfortable. But ahead of the bank's meeting early next month, investors are today pairing back bets on a sharp, further sharp fall, a further sharp rise in interest rates. In London, I'm Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Daybreak. All right, Ewan, thank you. Well, in political news, legal pressure continues to mount on former President Donald Trump. The first pretrial hearing has been held in the classified documents case against him, but there's still no word on a trial date. And Bloomberg's Ed Baxter has the latest. Trump's attorneys do not want a date set now and potentially to be held off until after the 2024 election. Judge Aileen Cannon did express some skepticism about that, as well as the government's arguments. Now, setting a schedule for coming months is usually an uncontroversial step in a typical trial, but this is not a typical or usual proceeding. Scheduling Trump trials continues to get more and more complicated as the cases against him mount. In San Francisco, I'm Ed Baxter, Bloomberg Daybreak. There's one more case, Ed. The state of Michigan's filed charges against 16 Republicans who put themselves forward as alternative electors for then-President Trump in 2020. This came on the same day the former president said he's been told he's a target of the Justice Department investigation into January 6th. Well, turning to the White House, Nathan, there's been a major development that could affect U.S.-China relations. The Biden administration has officially cut funding for the Wuhan Institute of Virology. That's a facility at the center of the COVID-19 lab leak theory. And Bloomberg's Amy Morris explains from our 991 newsroom in Washington. Bloomberg News has obtained a memo in which the Department of Health and Human Services formally notified the Wuhan laboratory of the suspension and that it is seeking to cut it off permanently. An HHS review raised concerns that the facility, based in Wuhan, China, where COVID first emerged, is violating biosafety protocols and is not complying with U.S. regulations. This is so far the most drastic action taken by the U.S. over the lab's failure to share information into COVID's origins. The Wuhan lab can contest the suspension and proposed debarment. In Washington, I'm Amy Morris, Bloomberg Daybreak. Okay, Amy, thank you. Finally, there is no end in sight for the heat dome that's been baking the South for weeks. Phoenix, Arizona has had 19 straight days above 110 degrees. That's the longest streak since 1974, and it could keep going the rest of the week. It's supposed to hit 115 in Phoenix today and 116 tomorrow into Friday. Let's take a look now at some of the stories making news in New York and around the world with Bloomberg's Michael Barr. Good morning, Michael. Good morning, Nathan. More potential locations are being investigated in the Gilgo Beach serial killings. Authorities in South Carolina and Nevada are looking into properties owned by the Long Island men accused of murdering three women and dumping their bodies more than a decade ago. Rex Hureman is being held without bail on suicide watch. New York investigators scoured his home where they've already retrieved more than 200 guns. 
The Texas Department of Public Safety is investigating allegations that state troopers were ordered to push back those attempting to cross the border, including children, into the Rio Grande in Eagle Pass and deny people water during extreme heat. U.S. Congressman Greg Kassar and other lawmakers are blaming Governor Abbott's border security policies. Pushing kids back into the water, putting razor wire around buoys to create drowning devices. This isn't just illegal. It is not just wrong. Um, it is something that the federal government has the ability to stop. Governor Abbott's office defended the barbed wire and other safety measures, stating in part Texas is deploying every tool and strategy to deter and repel illegal crossings. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin says an American soldier crossed the demilitarized zone from South Korea into North Korea. One of our service members who was on a tour uh, willfully and without authorization crossed the military demarcation line. We believe that he is in the BRK custody. The soldier, 23-year-old Army Private Travis King, was apparently expected to be sent home following two months in a detention center when he fled. A possible break in the cold murder case of Tupac Shakur, police searched a home in the Las Vegas area in connection with the 1996 fatal drive-by shooting of the rapper. He was lost for months adrift in the Pacific for more than 1,200 miles on a disabled catamaran with no way to cook and no source of fresh water but the rain. But Australian Timothy Shattuck, with his dog, says he was rescued this week by a fishing crew. Look, I'll always be in the water, you know. I don't know how far out in the ocean again I'll be, you know, but I, I think I'm, uh, I, I just love, the, love nature. Shaddix said at one point he expected to die. Global News 24 hours a day, powered by more than 2,700 journalists and analysts in over 120 countries. I'm Michael Barr, and this is Bloomberg, Nathan. Thanks, Michael. Time now for the Bloomberg Sports Update. Here's John Stashen. Thanks, Nathan. Wild night in baseball. 12 teams scored 10 or more runs. According to the Elias Sports Bureau, that has happened before back in 94. 1894 Minnesota Cleveland the Dodgers all scored 10 times the Cubs went for 17 Arizona won in Atlanta 16 to 13 and three games finished 11 to 10 including the Mets and White Sox at City Field didn't look like that would happen 2-1 swinging a fly ball Santee left center field he got another one home run Alvarez Shot for the 21-year-old who rounds the bases for the second time tonight. The Mets take an 11-4 lead on Alvarez's 19th home run of the year. WCBS, so 11-4, seventh inning. Chicago then closed to within one. Twice had the tying run on. The Mets held on to win. So all this scoring. And then there are the Yankees, who had two hits and a 5-1 loss to the Angels. The Yanks' eighth loss the last 10 games. They are... 15 and 21 since the Aaron Judge toe injury. They play this afternoon, having already lost this series. It's the fourth series they've lost in July, all four against teams with sub 500 records. Golf in England, Open Championship, 151st edition, teeing off early tomorrow morning at Royal Liverpool. Last time it was held there in 2014, Rory McIlroy won that, and though he hasn't won a major since 2014, he's the betting favorite this week. The United States, not surprisingly, the betting favorite to win the Women's World Cup Soccer for the third time in a row. Play begins tomorrow. The U.S. takes on Vietnam Friday in New Zealand. John Stashauer, Bloomberg Sports. 
Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. From coast to coast, from New York to San Francisco, Boston to Washington, D.C., nationwide on Sirius XM, the Bloomberg Business App, and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Daybreak. Good morning. I'm Nathan Hager. Have we reached bottom in trading and investment banking? The CEO of Morgan Stanley, James Gorman, thinks so. In a conversation with Bloomberg's Shanali Bassett, Gorman discussed investment bank activity and finding his successor after he recently announced he does plan to leave his position. They also dug into new capital proposals and how those could affect the U.S. banking system. So let's listen in. 14 years is a, it's a long time to do anything and to run a global bank um, and deal with all the changes that are going on in the world. Uh, you know, it's it's important for organizations to refresh. So I think it's certainly a very long time to be a bank CEO and everybody's got to find their own agenda. My focus is on ensuring that this place does well over the next 10 and 20 years. To do that, you need to give the next generation a chance and they will do things differently and they will grow the place in a way that I might, have, might not have imagined. So it's, it's exciting. It feels right. What criteria is the board using to choose a new CEO? I mean, it's a big open question on who might take over next. You've said there are three candidates. How do we think about who the next person is? Well, I think you've got, you look at a whole range of uh, criteria. The, the first and obvious one is that they're good at running businesses. And, and uh, you know, when I took over the job, I was actually running the smallest and worst performing part of the company, but we were turning it around. So the board wants to know they're good business leaders. But the other are, are qualities which, which every institution, be it educational, uh, government or, or uh, not-for-profit or, or public companies look for in leaders. It's, it's character, it's endurance, resilience, uh, strategic sense, communication skills, all the obvious stuff that you'd expect. And fortunately, we've got three fabulous candidates. Uh, they're all internal. And they all have uh, great business skills. And now the board has, uh, you know, the, the opportunity to figure out who's the best to lead Morgan Stanley for the years ahead, uh, the Morgan Stanley that we're going to become. So I think they can all do it. If you think about just how much Morgan Stanley has changed and the investments you've made in wealth management, investment management, and frankly, the idea here that the profitability of the wealth manager is just through the roof and frankly, a lot more than you're seeing even in institutional securities, does it make more sense for the future leader to come from some of those growth areas? Well, I'm not going to get into speculating, which is, uh, uh, you know, what I'm sure you'd like me to do. But the board doesn't look so much at how a specific business is performing. They look at, again, the enduring qualities of the leader and whether they have the kinds of skills you need to lead a complex global institution. And as I said, all three of the people we have internally are terrifically well-equipped. They're great people. 
Uh, they have great respect for each other. They have terrific values. So, you know, we, we've got, it's an embarrassment of riches is all I'll say. How do you focus on <clears throat> culture during this transition? How do you ensure that whoever doesn't get the job stays on board? Is that something you worry about? <clears throat> Not really. No, I think, you know, we've, we've worked together for, I think, with this team, plus the other senior leadership, people like Sharon Yashire, our CFO is on the call, uh, Eric Grossman, our chief legal officer, uh, Carol Vincent Green, who, who runs internal audit. We, we've had a uh, very significant leadership team working closely together for a long period of time. What matters about culture is you share the same values, and we share the same values. There's no, there won't be the drama that uh, people perhaps look for in succession around this particular one, I'm convinced. I think it will be relatively seamless, and I think it will lead to a great outcome. Now, we have to talk about the numbers here because wealth management. Sure. $200 billion in net new money for the first half of the year, and it's quite breathtaking. It's certainly nothing to cry about here. How much of this is a function of the dislocations in the market, the business that you've taken on from First Republic or Silicon Valley Bank? Uh, I would think, um, I don't know exactly, but my guess is less than 10% related to that. So 90% related to just the change in the business model that we've put in place over the last, you know, 15 years. And, and uh, that business now led by Andy Saperstein have figured out a variety of ways to grow client activity, whether it's through direct, through the E-Trade platform, and the digital bank, whether it's through the workplace, which we did first with Solium, the acquisition, then the E-Trade workplace, uh, the advisor-led channel, we've had very low turnover advisors, and we still seem to be the place of choice for many of our competitors, uh, financial advisors. So it's, it, the, the beauty of it is it's no one single thing. This quarter, it was a bit more advisor-driven than it was last quarter, but all of them are contributing. That's why I think it's going to endure. When you look at the stock price, on my way over here, it was up more than 7%. You're on track to have the best performance in trading right after an earnings release in your, in, in your tenure, certainly, if not history here. So what do you think investors are latching onto when they look at today's numbers? I think I should retire right today, isn't, <laughs> isn't this the moment where you drop the mic or something? Um, well, then who's the new CEO? Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's not going to happen. Uh, nice try, though. Um, no, listen, we had, we had some big movements in the stock when it was very low back in 12 and 14 and 16, 2012, 14, 16. Uh, no, but today's big, but it's, it's just reflective of the fundamentals are really strong. Our capital ratios, I mean, we'll see when all the banks report. We're close to the end of the major banks. But I'm pretty sure we've got the highest capital levels of any bank, any major bank in the U.S. Uh, the net new money numbers you reference are obviously evidence of growth, and our dividend is 4% or close to it. So a combination of really high conservative capital levels, obvious organic growth within a couple of core businesses, and very high dividend yield for what we do, I think the investors sensibly look past um, what's been going on in the market recently. You know, IPO activity is obviously down, M&A activity is down, uh, some of the fixed income trading was a little more muted. N none of that matters, right? It, it, strategically, that doesn't matter. That's a point in time market sentiment. That will change. Deals will get done. Companies will go public. People will trade. So I think the market sensibly looked at the big picture items and said, yeah, the rest of the stuff will just come. And that's why we're trading the way we're trading. It was a great clean quarter. When you look at investment banking, trading, mm. advisory, yep. when do they come back and how robust will that activity be? 
Well, I think, I don't know when exactly. Uh, I do believe it's bottomed. And we were just talking before we got on air, you know, I've been to, in the last couple of months, Australia, Japan, Saudi, France, England, Amsterdam, I mean, I've, and all over the US. And every CEO I'm talking to has tilted to a more forward-looking posture. Um, so I think deal, deals will start getting done. Whether they happen in the back half of this year, I'm not so sure. It might be, it might be next year that it comes. But it will definitely be. It will be during next year when we see it, if not this year. James, what does all of this mean for headcount? You've booked a more than $300 million cost tied to severance packages, but it seems like headcount is starting to stabilize. Do you think that a rebound in some of this activity means that you could bring more people on, or do you still see more cuts in certain not, areas? Not really. I mean, we we laid off about 1,800 people last December, and we knew that was an optimistic view. Um, and I said to the team, if by April things haven't turned, we'll have to unfortunately do it again. And we ended up laying off another 3,500 people. Now, against that backdrop, we've had attrition, I think, is running almost 50% what historical rates are. We've got 83,000 employees. We bought two huge companies, E-Trade and Eat Advance, and we guaranteed everybody their job during COVID. So headcount was, if you will, artificially high. I regarded this as bringing us back to what the normal run rate should be. I don't think we're going to add to that. I mean, one of the beauties of this business, it's very scale driven. If you do a few more trades, you don't need more people to do it for the same clients. So, no, I think we're about right with headcount right now. But obviously, you know, we're, we, we're, we've got fiduciary responsibility, shareholders deliver returns, and we watch that carefully. You know, your views sound fairly rosy. I mean, it sounds like you are pretty sanguine about the direction of travel here across different business lines. Earlier this week, Secretary of Treasury uh, Yellen had told us that she believes that there might not be a recession. Do you agree with that view? Well, I've, I've said publicly for over a year, I thought the probability of recession was low. And if we have one, the magnitude uh, is likely to be relatively modest. So I've been sort of between probability low. So likely we don't have a recession. And if we do, it's not going to matter that much. And I think things are playing out that way. I mean, uh, Chairman Powell said it. You know, it is possible to have soft landings, right? It's been done, I think, six of the last 11 rate increase periods. I believe I'm right in saying that. There have been soft landings. So it's not a given you have a recession. With unemployment uh, where it is, inflation now coming down under 4%, unemployment still under 4%, decent economic growth, stable markets, uh, the banking system, balance sheets are strong and consumer balance sheets are okay. Uh, that's a pretty good backdrop. Now, some industry sectors obviously hurting more than others, but you're seeing it in the earnings this quarter. The earnings are not really bad. They're not great, but they're not disappointing. So then what keeps you up at night? To the extent that anything can derail kind of this progress in the economy, what would it be? I mean, the, the, the real macro issue, if you step back from it, is the China-US relationship. Um, the GDP of those two countries, I think, is 40% of the global GDP. Uh, they're very dependent. We're very dependent on China. China is more dependent on the rest of the world, frankly, for trade. So that's that's the that's sort of the tipping point. I mean, there's an existential one, which is the U.S. defaulting on its debt. That didn't happen. It's insane that we should even be having these discussions. But thankfully, they got through the charade again. 
But what really matters is US-China geopolitical relationships for global trade and economic expansion. And within that, you know, you've seen Secretary Blinken and now Secretary Yellen in the last month both going there. We're getting to a more constructive tone. So, you know, but Shanelli, honestly, after all the years of doing this, I don't worry a lot at night. I mean, stuff happens and you deal with it. You have a strategy which is designed to carry the, the company forward for a decade or more. And you accept the inevitable disappointments along the way or the things that go wrong. And that's just part of being in leadership, Joe. Speaking of the next 10 years, there is something around the corner that has the potential to impact some of the biggest businesses you have, and that is that Basel III endgame. Sure. New regulations in the United States and across the globe that are targeting now fee-based businesses, which has become a big part of your business, as well as trading businesses. How do you expect those rules to eventually impact the returns on those businesses? Yeah. Well, firstly, and I'll try not to get too weedy, but the, the the rule hasn't been proposed yet. Um, we've we've had Basel one, Basel two, Basel three. As I joke, finally we're at the end because they're now calling it Basel three end game. Uh, so I guess we're not going to get four and five. Europe has not even caught up and complied with its own Basel rules. Um, the U.S. has had a system parallel to Basel called CICA, and all of the banks have come through CICA this cycle very well. So. Based upon Vice Chair uh, Barr's speech, clearly they're going ahead with a holistic, so they look at CCAR and Basel review. That will be proposed in a couple of weeks. I expect it to be uh, pretty challenging for the banking system at first blush. But if you read the speech by the Vice Chair and various other commentary, it is clear that they want input and they're going to need input. There are things that were proposed under the European system that I just don't think are appropriate for the US system, like, as you said, changing the way they measure operating risk, RWAs, risk-weighted assets, based on the fee businesses you have. That's completely intellectually counterintuitive to what you want in fee-based businesses, which is stability. So I, I don't see why the US financial system should be dictated by the European uh, regulators. And uh, I just don't see that's where it's going to end up. I think there'll be, there'll be a lot of discussion. And my guess is none of this gets implemented before the end of 2026. So several years to adjust. And we carry currently a, a 260 basis point capital buffer. Our CT1 ratio this quarter was 15.5%. Our requirement under CCAR was 12.9%. So we are very conservatively positioned in anticipation whatever changes may happen. But again, Shanali, the key is they're going to happen over years. This isn't going to be tomorrow. But the changes that would happen would still be <laughs> under a new regime at Morgan Stanley, would be under a new executive. Do you think that I hope so. the bank will have to make changes around its business lines if these rules were to be as stringent as they seem No, I don't to think be? so. No, no. It won't change our strategy. I mean, we'd, we'd make adjustments on RWAs and parts of the business. But no, it's, it's manageable. It's just I'm separating is it manageable from is it the right thing to do. And I don't think the U U.S. economy is what matters here. And for the U.S. economy to thrive, we need a strong banking system led by the largest banks in the country. And we should determine what is the right capital structure for our banks, not have it determined by some other body outside of this country in the national interest. There's we should do it. That old saying that if you squeeze Wall Street like a sponge, the activity will move <laughs> elsewhere. And a lot of your rivals have said that they're very concerned about the activity moving outside of the banking system into the non-banks. Do you share that concern? And what are the risks that are emerging that are maybe going unnoticed? 
Well, there's always, um, you know, if, if you if you pressure the regulatory part of the industry, it will move to the non-regulated part because they don't have the same capital charges that that we have. So yes, that that is a real risk. And in fact, and again, not to get too weedy, but something called the supplemental leverage ratio, which simply takes uh, the amount of capital you have and the size of your balance sheet, basically hurts you for carrying a large balance sheet, even if it's all treasuries. And you participate in the treasuries market to provide liquidity to the broader financial system. So yes, there are consequences from decisions. And that's why the regulators sensibly have asked for and will ask for a very long comment period. And they'll get vigorous comment from me and from others. I'm quite firm on this. We, do, we don't need a complete redo of the capital system here. And we'll make the case as to why that's so. James, what about you? What does life after Morgan Stanley look for you? Do you think you'll stay in financial services or consider a career somewhere else, perhaps politics? No, I'm very happy uh, with my life. It's, you know, my, my focus is on uh, handing it over to my successor and uh, making sure they have the, what I described as the cleanest plate possible. So as many of the, we have a few remaining issues that I want to work through and get those cleaned up. And, and probably based on my experience, I can handle some of this stuff more easily than somebody starting day one. And after that, I don't know. I'm Australian. Uh, I'll spend a little more time with my family there. I'll obviously keep working in some capacity. And I'll, I'll teach a little bit. And you know, who, who knows? The, the beauty of life is there are a lot, there are a lot of things to do. So I'm, I'm embracing that and enthusiastic about it. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Today, your morning brief on the stories making news from Wall Street to Washington and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed at 6 a.m. Eastern each morning on Apple, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning starting at 5 a.m. Wall Street time on Bloomberg 1130 in New York, Bloomberg 991 in Washington, Bloomberg 1061 in Boston, and Bloomberg 960 in San Francisco. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. Plus, listen coast to coast on the Bloomberg Business app, Sirius XM Channel 119, the iHeartRadio app, and on Bloomberg.com. I'm Nathan Hager. And I'm Karen Moscow. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.